Person of Interest Podcast, episode number 22, Getting God Off the Grid. You are being watched. An artificial intelligence, a machine protected by government agencies and deadly assassins, is spying on you every hour of every day. We designed this podcast as a means to share information that will aid in discovering and exploiting anything related to bringing down those who will use the machine to harm and exploit others. If you're listening to this podcast, your number has come up and you're part of our team. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's season finale time. Yeah, welcome to Person of Interest Podcast, a uh, fan podcast dedicated to uh, Person of Interest on CBS. I'm Daryl, and you know what, Doug? I have painted my lenses green in my glasses so that it feels like I'm wearing night vision goggles. I hope it's kind of a you know a, a see-through green, otherwise it's going to really look like true night vision. Oh, oh, is that the way those are supposed to work? <laughs> Thank you. Now you tell me. <laughs> And I'm Doug, and I'm making sure my barbecue grill still has its propane tank. Yes. We are glad to have you with us. Wow. Uh, We are covering Person of Interest, Season 4, Episode 22, the Season 4 finale, which originally aired May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, 2015. And, you know, in case you missed all the multiple references to Cinco de Mayo, there it is. And the episode was entitled Yahweh, spelled Y-H-W-H. Now, just to remind you, if you may have skipped the spoilers section last week or you didn't listen to last week, yes, Y-H-W-H is typically pronounced Yahweh. It's one of the names of God used in the in the Hebrew Bible, and religiously observant Jews are forbidden to pronounce that name of God. And so, uh, but this is, you know, basically two gods, quote-unquote, going at it. So that's, uh, that's kind of where this uh, name comes from. Now, Doug, I need to ask you a question before we get too much into this week's episode. Are you secretly on the POI writers team? <laughs> if only. Well, I'm just wondering because it seemed like you said if, if you were, then you would have made the perfect segue for you because here we have some missing propane tanks and hey, what what other show might need some missing propane tanks? Well, it's <laughs> Under the Dome, which you happen to podcast about, so you gave yourself a perfect segue from one podcast on the GSM network <laughs> to another podcast. You know, I hadn't, hadn't thought about that, but that's true. You know, the propane, you know, works works in both the uh, universes here. Um, so if the last thing you hear of me is this, then the next thing you hear of me is Under the Dome. It's just it's just going to fall right into light right in the line. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. Well done, Doug. <laughs> Thank you. I tried <laughs> really hard. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Well, listen. We just want to say thanks one more time here as we wrap up this season of Person of Interest. Thanks to all of you who have who tuned in either. If this is your first episode or if you've been with us all season long, thank you for that. We love doing this show. We love watching the show. We love doing the podcast. We love interacting with you via the live show. Even though we're a day late with the live show this week, we still have a great crowd here with us tonight. And for those of you who send in feedback or interact with us on Facebook or Twitter, whatever it is, uh, you as the listening audience, the Golden Spiral Media community, make it so much more fun. So thank you for that. And uh, we're looking forward to next season, but not yet. We Hmm. still have some unfinished business, Doug. Let's talk about the season four finale. 
All right. Well, the writer was Dan Dietz and the executive producer, Greg Plagman. So he had a hand in finishing this uh, particular season up, and the director was Chris Fisher. And we have some very interesting ratings. When I say interesting, I mean disappointing. Uh, this particular episode of Person of Interest, the season four finale for Crying Out Loud, uh, hit s- season-wide lows for uh, both rating in the Magic Demographic and in viewership. We got a 1.1 rating, which was 10th for the night, which is kind of a bit lower than, than normal. Uh, we had 8.18 million viewers, which was fifth for the night, which is normal. Uh, you know, it's NCIS and The Voice and Dancing with the Stars and NCIS New Orleans. Those are the top four all the time. And person of interest in terms of viewers generally shows up fourth or fifth. And we did so again, uh, you know, this week. So it's, it's not so bad in terms of, you know, from that, but even that is, is low. Uh, for it's the lowest for the season, and the 1.1 rating is the lowest for the season as well. Now, I will say that, uh, like I said, at, at this at this low point, and we'll get a little more into this uh, a little bit later when we talked about some feedback. But uh, you know, eight million viewers and a, a generally fourth or fifth in in both ratings and uh, and the number of viewers. There's not really a a problem in terms of, you know, is this going to be renewed or something like that? We'll talk about that a little later. But, yeah, uh, for example, uh, that what goes up against Person of Interest at that time, so at 10 o'clock on ABC is forever. Love that show. However, it's getting canceled. It got canceled. Yep. Yep. And, and it gets half the number of viewers. We routinely beat it in t- even in terms of the uh, of the rating, of the demographic rating. But we, mm-hmm. we often get uh, double or more of its... Uh, of its uh, viewers Viewership. now, undateable. Uh, Nine o'clock on NBC. It's it's gotten uh, canceled as well. One point three this past week. Four point two million viewers. Again, you know we're we're trouncing these guys in terms of the number of viewers, the number of eyeballs on the on the ads. So uh, I th- I think we're we're pretty good, and we'll like I said, we'll we'll talk a little more about that later. Yeah, I'll just say that TV by the Numbers gave their final ratings predictions, or or uh, not ratings predictions, renewal or cancellation predictions, because everything is like you said. You just mentioned all those shows that are getting canceled. More more shows got canceled today. CBS did cancel some shows today. POI is not one of them. In fact, uh, TV by the Numbers says there is a one hundred percent chance POI is coming back. Of course, that's unofficial, but we sure like those uh, that percentage. I like those. I'll take them. I'll take them. That's right. You know what else I'll take? Hmm. Listener ratings. Uh, my, oh, my, did we get a bunch this week? But let's start out with yours, Douglas. I gave mine 10 shock hazards. Now, when you were in the uh, electrical substation, there was a sign on the wall that said danger, shock hazard. And I'm thinking, yeah, I'm shocked. Yes. What's going on here? But that's that's what I gave it. I, it was, I, I gave last week 10. I gave this mm-hmm. week 10. I'm thinking, you know, it's, it's not that it's perfect, but it was just a really good um, uh, episode as far as uh, a season finale, the myth arc, and stuff like that. Now, I will say, I've talked with some other folks on the Facebook group, uh, and that last, epi- or last season's season finale, I liked better than this one, but I did like this one enough that I, uh, I gave it a 10. Okay, gotcha. I also liked last season a little bit better. Now, last week, I gave a 9.99, maybe even, just kind of leaving a little bit of room for this week, anticipating a 10, but didn't get there for me. But a 9.5, which is still quite good. 9.5, Phantom Bombs. Boom. 
Well, we had a lot of others here. Let's see what we got. Uh, okay. Linda is lost. She gave it 10 huge margaritas without the salt. Mm-hmm. That's true. They didn't have any salt with them. David Michael gave it 10 extreme hatred for Samaritan, Greer, and cliffhangers, which we did get a doozy of a cliffhanger. I mean, and, and versus last year when we had a, a nice, it was a, not really a cliffhanger. It just, you saw one story end and you could see the next one starting. But this, yes, absolutely. Cliffhanger. Absolute cliffhanger this time, yeah. They're hanging off the cliff. Vivek gave it 10 creator and creation talks. I like that. A little heart to heart uh, there. Karen Lindsay gave it 10 fingers hanging desperately onto the cliff. For three months. <laughs> like Hang it. in there. Uh, I, and you might want to, I don't know if you want to keep this in or not, but I remember one time when they had the uh, Star Trek finale when Picard became a Borg and Riker says, Mr. Worf, fire. And that's the that's it. That's the cliffhanger. You have to mm. wait, you know, more than three months or so for that. Yeah. And uh, yeah. they saw, you know, somebody made a little comment about the fact that, Wow, Star Trek is really bad off. Your your captain's aboard, your ships uh, are all destroyed, and your security officer takes six months to hit the fire button. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway. Yes. Okay. Nice. Moving right along. Carla Bayat gave it 10 128-gig multi-state RAM chips. And Carol Landers gave it 10. I mean, I'm seeing a nice pattern of 10s here. Mm-hmm. 10 fighting fax machines. Love the alliteration <laughs> there. Jeff Childs gave it 11. He said he might have to do this. Mm. He might have to turn it up to 11, and he did. 11 AIs in the wiring. Nice. Pam Algar, who is, uh, by the way, Garth's uh, younger sister. 10 plus machine DNA strands in a suitcase. And Pam, I'm sorry if you get that joke all the time, but I cannot pass up the opportunity (laughs) to say, party on. (laughs) Steve Morwall gave it 10 student-teacher reunions. That was touching. Mm-hmm. And Zachary Chong, who's also joining us in the chat room right now. Breaking the streak. Breaking the streak, man. <laughs> <laughs> Seven compressed supercomputers. Yeah, I've noticed that Zach and I have, have, when I'm going up, he's going down. You know, it, it, uh, it's, it seems yeah. like that. That's fine. That's great. Yeah, um, that's fine. Being honest about it, Chris Basham gave it 10 corrections. And Jerry Chin gave it 10 hearts like mine that almost stopped. (laughs) Joe Herman called it 10 denial of service attacks on CBS if they don't renew POI. (laughs) That would be very fitting in a a very twisted kind of way. Yes, that's true. I hadn't thought about that. Just a computer uh, denial of service. That's right. And Benson Ferris gave it 8 out of 10 bags of ice. Mm-hmm. Angela Shockley, and that's, you know, a, a great name for this particular episode, mm-hmm. gave it 10 out of 10 not-so-welcoming machines. And Pam Fasig gave it 10 tables turned. Mm-hmm. Edward McVeigh gave it 10 plot threads answered. Was right. that many? I'm trying to remember, but yeah, we had a lot of uh, answers. There's quite a few that came came through and came together there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Patrick George gave it 8.9999. <laughs> oh, hell yes! From Reese. <laughs> I don't think he quite said it like that, but that's my own little interpretation of you what know, we saw on screen. We have, we, we have a little, you know, uh, license to do that, yeah. That's right. That's 8.9999. Right. Not quite a nine. Okay. 
Benita Butler gave it 7.9 compressor chips. This episode, she has a little ex- explanation, another another low uh, uh, rating there. This episode began to feel like watching a shoot 'em up video game. I can see that. I'm not sorry to see Dominic and crew go. I never felt grabbed by that story. I liked the machine's reduction. It's an opportunity to reboot the show. Curious curious to see where it goes yes that's that will be very interesting to uh, mm-hmm. uh to see because there's it really does open up a whole new uh an opportunity for them well a quite literal reboot if they get the machine back up again i mean it really will be a reboot and a, and a, a you know figuratively and literally in, in in that sense so um laura eckhart gave it a 10 no further explanation needed no <laughs> Janae Schoenfeld gave it 10 ambiguous titles. Samaritan is definitely not the one true god. Mm-hmm. And Dotch gave it uh, a, little, a little bit of an explanation with his, too. He says, I have to say, this is the single best POI episode in all four seasons hmm. and definitely a top 10 of all shows I've ever seen. Wow. I graciously grant Yahweh a 10 with full honors associated and associated pomp. I love this. <laughs> and this isn't just any 10. This is a, <laughs> I forgot you wrote all this. <laughs> this is a 10 dead sharks floating out to sea. 10. Whoever was on the shark watch for POI sure just failed miserably. And all the sharkies were obliterated. No need to jump the shark anymore as POI just water skied through the middle of them and put that issue to rest, slicing and dicing as the shark sentry napped on lookout duty. In fact, I think we will all be eating shark fillets all summer and slurping down shark chowda anytime we want. Chowda. Cheers and well wishes as I understate my position on the matter. <laughs> Tell us what you really think. <laughs> I love it, Doc. I love it. I don't feel quite as strongly with that uh, about it as, as you do, but... Uh, I love what you had to say. <laughs> yeah, it's classic. All right. Well, Doug, this is going to be a, another challenging one like like last week. We we did our best to kind of uh keep keep the storyline separate but yet they converge at some points and and like Reese, you know, at one point he's he's in the middle of the Dominic Elias storyline and then he joins the Root Finch storyline and and all this is happening simultaneously and 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 having an effect on one another and all that stuff. So Let's just we'll just do our best to uh, to plow through this thing. Uh, where shall we begin? I'm saying let's start on a utility pole. We had uh, these guys replacing these things on the utility poles. Now, when they were doing that, my first thought was, well, you know, there's all these power surges that are being created by Samaritan trying to drain power away from wherever the machine is, and I mm-hmm. was thinking that the machine had put this in place, these guys out there on th- with Thornhill Utilities, as we see later on, perfect, mm-hmm. it's the machine doing it, that it would, like, I don't know, even out or filter or absorb, you know, the the uh, this the surge so it didn't destroy anything, uh, and then the machine could get its electricity. But I had no idea, ultimately, that... Uh, the, and they said they had been doing this for months, so, mm-hmm. you know, the idea is they have been doing this since at least, I don't know, the beginning of the season... Right. Uh, so, so it was a great, a great little thing there. And, you know, the, the guys who were putting him up, don't look inside. The last guy who did got reassigned, you know, I, mm-hmm. Mr. Thornhill doesn't like that. Yeah. Well, I was with you. I even had a note in our notes at one point that said, oh man, the machine has been planning this for months, thinking that these boxes all around the U S presumably at least New York 
were its defense mechanism against the, the oncoming surge attack from uh, from Samaritan. And of course, we fully understand it later that that's not that's not exactly what it was. It was actually the machine itself. It was alive in those boxes. So, but still, a pretty we, it, it helps us now fully understand what happened when they showed up at the nuclear reactor and it was an empty room. Where did it go? Well, now we finally got that answered. So that's one of the uh, the, the the questions or plot lines or whatever we want to we, we we you know we're talking about there in the ratings. That's one of them that we got answered this week. And one of the things that we had, uh, one of the questions we had was that. Uh, Samaritan's idea of, you know, uh, kind of piggybacking off of these virus scanner, the, you know, the worldwide virus scanner that uh, everybody uses kind of thing, couldn't mm. find it. It wasn't on any network system. And it turns out that's because it's, you know, not hiding on the internet, it's hiding on the uh, power grid. So yeah, yeah, another, another great little, uh, they, they, they set that up very nicely. I really, they I, really, I really that. did. Absolutely did. It was also kind of cool to see the opening shot that we get of Team Machine down there in the subway layer. And all of a sudden they start hearing this phone ring, you know, Root and, and Fincher down there. And I, I didn't think anything of it. I mean, the phone rings. Of course, there's a phone down there. But then when they look at each other, all confused and they're like, where's that coming from? To, to see it, you know, coming from behind the wall and stuff. Again, the machine knows exactly how to get in touch with them. And I don't know. It was just kind of a cool thing to see uh, this this kind of hidden phone back there and the distress call and and pie being given as well. So it really set the tone early for, in the episode, especially with the um, with the shutdown code. That was really cool. Now at this point in the episode, she grabs root grabs the case and you know whatever else device that she had there with everything that she had accumulated at that point. There had been this small scavenger hunt going on. You know with the uh, the the egg case and the thing that she had in the mm-hmm. cast, the arm cast last week. But from this point on for the next three course, uh, three course, three fourths or three quarters, take your pick, but three course is not really a word mm-hmm. uh, it, it, of the episode. It was really a kind of a fun yet perplexing scavenger hunt that she and Finch are going on uh, f- fun in that we get to see them do some, some cool things fun in that we kind of get to play along and say, what in the world? <laughs> what is what are they going to do with this piece? Um, I don't know. I, I really liked this, this part, the part of the episode. What about you? Well, it's one of those things that, you know, Rude is always saying, don't ask questions, just do what the machine says and it'll be just fine. You know, it'll, mm-hmm. it'll all work out in the end. And but it's it's it was a perfect uh, example of that. You know, we've seen a little bit of it before, but you know, we're getting a little bit of this, so some ice. We're getting some uh, what was it, margarita mix or something like that? I forget exactly, but yeah, I was, you know, Cinco de Mayo. Hey, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, no, it was really it was really um, and, and and Harold has got this what in the world look on his face. You know, every time <laughs> they t- try to stop, and Ruth's just yeah, no big deal. That's just, this mm-hmm. is the way things go. You know, and yeah. and and Harold just seems it, it. It's almost as if you know the creator, quote unquote, here just doesn't understand his creation. You know, and she does. So that's you know that's going to be a uh, that was uh, just just the the person who should be in charge, who should know what's going on, has no clue and is just being dragged along. And the person who right. uh, doesn't is isn't knows what he's got got her orders and she's marching. Now they get the. Night vision goggles. I I kind of use that as my intro uh, joke, but we never actually see the night vision goggles used in this episode, as far as I could tell. And then I, on, when I rewatched, I thought, you know, I'm just not remembering that John used them during the smoky shootout at the end of the episode. But no, he did not use them in the smoky shootout at the end of the episode. 
So what's the, what gives? Did they did they cut a scene? Am I still missing something after two watches, or is that something that will come into play next season if it, if it kicks off right where it left off? I I hope they come back to it. I can't imagine because they really made a, a big deal of it when uh, when she's right. going to get it. And yeah. I, yeah, I thought for I was waiting for somebody to toss a toss a Teresa when he goes out in the middle of the night, or like you said, the smoke. It was going to be used right then, but uh, I guess. Technically, the scene isn't over. Maybe something happens in the, uh, you know, in the, in the, when we see the other half of this, or the other side of this in the beginning of the fifth season. But mm-hmm. yeah, I would have, I would like to have seen a little more of a payoff there, right at the, where everybody expected it to. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering if a scene got cut where they, they still needed that other scene in there where they went and got the, the night vision goggles, but maybe the usage of them. Because it seems like they would have been the perfect tool to have when they were there at the climactic battle scene when they're kind of trapped inside the power station. But, okay. Well, I guess neither one of us saw them being used, so I guess they didn't. So so I, I missed it, and I was supposed to miss it, I guess. That's good. Okay. Okay. I liked. Did you like the uh, the the? Well, we we had a little uh, reference to it in one of the ratings. The the student teacher reunion there. That was that was kind of a. Was there any hint of that earlier on when Root first started working for this company that that this had been a previous student of Finch? I'm sorry, I I, I didn't hear what you said because I, I my my attention was distracted by an excellent point being made in the chat room by the Polish blonde. It wasn't the night vision goggles that was important. It was that recharging battery that was important. I bet that's what they're using to to keep the machine powered. Oh, 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 that's remember right. The battery was like, when it moves, it charges. When it moves, it charges. Yes. Oh, okay. That's okay. it. I Okay. Thank you. Thank you. See, this is why we, we love the, the live show, the chat room folks. They they save us from They catch from things we don't. Like this. Yeah. Okay. That's got to be it. That's got to be it. Okay. Okay, so I'm sorry, Doug. What what were you asking about? Was it was it was about? Uh, well, it was the, about the uh, the student teacher Caleb reunion there, Caleb. And mm-hmm. I was it was great that there you know there was this uh, relationship there. That did we have any hints of that earlier on? Because that's where Root had gone to work on a um, on an app uh, with mm-hmm. the compression algorithm and all that stuff. So I was just wondering if this was kind of um, they kind of pulled it out of the hat. Or, yeah, again, this is – anything they pull out of the hat can be explained by – the machine knew this all along, and that's and that makes sense to me. But still, I was wondering if there, if the audience members could – were given that sort of uh, clue earlier on. And I don't recall that. Uh, we had seen Caleb before, but I don't think there was that connection. He, he, he was – it's the same episode where – uh, Dominic, or, or maybe Dominic, was in the back of the room when Finch was drew the circle on the board. Mm-hmm. In that same episode, the the number was one of the kids in that in that class. Oh, and that was Caleb. Okay, so yeah, so yeah, the, he was uh, going to throw right. himself in front of the in, in front of the train, like his and die like his brother had. Yes, yes. And Finch talked him off the off the ledge, if you will. And we're also getting correction in the chat room. It was Fred that said it first. Uh, not, not about the uh, battery. Polish yes. Blood. Okay. But, yes. So. Credit. Thank you. Where Fred. Credit is due. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, that's where that happened. And that's why he said, this man saved my life. He, he quite literally saved his life, but was there any, did they give us anything to remind us of that? I, I don't think so. No. You know, and, we, and, we, we had seen him earlier in the season with root. Yeah. For and we had, and, and for people like me who forget those uh, details, uh, might've been helpful, but yes, no, I, I, it's, it's all coming back to me now. Yes. That was, uh, yeah. Uh, Caleb, who was the uh, the number at that particular point. Okay. Right. 
And if you forgot right. it too, then you're in good company. All right. And it was, you know, so he trusted Finch implicitly, gave him the, uh, uh, the chips, the multi-state RAM chips. And, uh, wow, that was, uh, that was quite a bit of, uh, you know, it was a secret project, you know, so why would he, you know, what, what, what are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm trying to save the world. So do you really trust somebody who comes to you and says, can I take your secret project stuff? Cause I need it to save the world. I guess well, uh, he didn't necessarily trust Root. You know, I mean, Root did say, "Oh, and by the way, we I, I borrowed your your uh, multi-state RAN trips from oh. from from Project X or whatever it was called." But yeah, I think he would have given uh, Finch or or whatever he thought his name was anything anything that he wanted, Mister yeah. Swift. Yes, indeed, Swift. That was it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's cool. And you know what? We 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 talked about are the night vision goggles still in play? We got the answer to that. Thank you so much, Fred. Um, but I, I do think that Caleb is still a person that we could see next season as a as a a member of Team Machine to help them in some way, brains or resources in some way. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see Caleb again. Some some sort of asset that uh, that would be useful for Team Machine. Yeah, exactly. Definitely an asset. So now they've got night vision goggles. They have compression algorithm. They have RAM chips. Now they need a party like at Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> and it's going to require a lot of ice. A That's the of... next thing on the scavenger hunt list. Go no to sal- get a lot of ice. No salt, and, just ice. Yeah. And, 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 and uh, Finch makes a point that a lot of us were wondering at this point. Root has been in full-on God mode for quite some time. We, we, she clearly has not been in full on God mode all season because of the danger that it would pose exposing her and the entire team. Now, there's no time for safety, but at the same time, it does expose their position. Yeah, I was, it is still convenient. It's one of those TV tropes. Hey, aren't you like posing a risk? And then that very moment, come, <laughs> guns come out blazing. It's like, oh, come on. Did you, I mean, make it the next scene at least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was good that they that brought that up because they had been very careful about it all season, and then right. all of a sudden, bam, 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 bam. It's like, wait a minute. Yeah. So yeah, uh, uh, Finch was acting as the the uh, audience member, going, "Wait a minute, don't they have a problem there?" Yeah, yeah. And then it shows up. Thank you very much. Um, right. And then I noticed at the beginning of the episode, whenever we had. Uh, the machine point of view is the machine's point of view, our machine's point of view. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, then we start changing over to Samaritan's point of view. Uh, mm. I just thought that was very interesting that they chose that moment to do it because, yes, now Samaritan's, you know, got got you in its sights. Yeah, you know, I didn't pick up on that. I'm, gl- I'm glad, you, glad you noticed that. Did we talk at all about how the machine up to this point, I mean, you can tell it's getting weak. Like when we do see through its POV, it's all fuzzy and yeah and out of focus sketchy yeah. or, or staticky i should say you know yeah out of focus yeah and more, more staticky than usual but yes it was a lot of focus yeah. and it was like wait a minute because yeah, it's having to deal with the lack of power and all that you know i thought that was very good right from the beginning yeah yeah exactly very very beginning Let, let's switch gears a little bit here because the storylines are converging and and hop over to the uh the b storyline again there was there were three storylines here let's talk about dominic and elias a lot of great stuff happened here I think what they did uh, the last episode was fantastic. And so it was going to be a, a, a tough act to follow uh, in this episode. But ultimately, uh, Dominic does call uh, Finch or mm-hmm. the hacker dude or whatever he's going to call him these days. 
And, and I thought that was, you know, a, a great, you know, we have, you know, he and Root, Finch and Root, you know, running around doing the scavenger hunt. And all of a sudden we have to start putting on the brakes here. We've got, you know, potentially Samaritan's, you know, eye is now turning toward us. And now we have Dominic coming over, you know. So it was a great, we're putting these folks in just incredible danger from from all sides. And, and if they ignore Dominic, you know, then John's in a in a in a pickle as well so mm-hmm. it was just uh i i liked how they really they, they 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 did the drama so well in this one and it wasn't too complicated it it was you know three really uh independent storylines but they did mm-hmm. make them uh, uh fit together real well yeah yeah they did you know i was watching a little bit of the godfather this week and it wasn't like i was watching the movie i i, don't, I saw a clip somewhere and i i have no idea where or how it might have even just been uh, just a, 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 a like one of those greatest movie clips of all time types of things, and it showed um, Marlon Brando's as, as the Godfather, and I'm gonna make you an offer you can't refuse. You know how he always had that mm-hmm. kind of wispy sound to his voice, you mm-hmm. know, very controlled. And when I heard it, I'm like, "That's Dominic," you know. Not that not that he's playing Dominic. Obviously, it was way twenty years before Dominic ever you know came around. My point is this: I got the I got had it was like I felt like Dominic had been channeling his inner Godfather vibe this whole time, and I just now picked up on it. Is that me? Or it, well, now that I mentioned that, does that like strike a chord with you at all? That, that maybe Dominic has been like, I'm going to make him an offer. You know, he just kind of has that uh, that kind of. Soft, Under, controlled, understated, understated. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but uh, you know that that is. Now I haven't, like I said, I haven't watched uh, the Godfather uh, movie itself, but I have seen plenty of clips and mm-hmm. scenes and stuff like that. And yeah, now I can see that where he's he's just he's not yelling at you. You know, he's just mm-hmm. very deliberate and you know understated. But it, it kind of gives more power to the uh, the threats he makes and that sort of thing. Yeah, no, I think yeah, the, uh, I think you can make a good case for that. Yeah, yeah. Just a little sidebar that just kind of occurred to me this week. Since I don't think we'll be seeing Dominic again, I felt like I had to make it now or forever hold my peace. Mm-hmm. Well, in the conversation with Dominic, I believe it was. Let me let me get this right now. I'm trying to remember now. Was it Finch who said the machine is the priority, and then Root says no people are the priority, or was it the other way around? It was the other way around. Other way around. Okay. Finch did not want to leave John stranded like they had Shaw. And Root said, the machine can take care of John. Uh, and the machine did. I mean, that was when the fax the machine facts. came on, which was one of the most amazing scenes <laughs> in POI history. <laughs> no, that was very good. You know, she's reading it right off as though, you know, the machine knew that's what they would do. And what's going on? You know, a fax yeah. machine. Yeah. What is that? There's a fax machine over here. What does it say? How and this lists off exactly what John needs to do to become to go into full God mode and just shut the joint down. It was like he was had a harpoon shooting sharks. It was fantastic. <laughs> I wonder how many people had to be explained afterwards. That's a fax machine. Yes, yeah. indeed. <laughs> what is that sound? That's what it used to sound like every time you had to get on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's right. That's right. Dial up. Thank you. Yeah. Welcome. <laughs> You've got mail. Yeah. Well, we didn't talk about the fact that Harper had let uh, Fusco go. He comes back with all the rest of the guys. So now that whole scene is shut down, right? Dominic is arrested. Elias is arrested. 
Fusco's going to take the ride with him. John's going to go join back up with team the rest of Team Machine. It was pretty satisfying for me to see Dominic and, and uh, Elias go down. Now, at this point, Doug, what was your gut telling you about the fate of Elias and Dominic? Did you have any feelings one way or the other as to how it might shake out? Or was, it, was this the end of what we would get be given with them for now, for this season? Or did you think that there was still some action left to be had between these two characters? I kind of thought that they could have easily just driven him to central booking and been done with it. Um, because mm-hmm. like, I, think, I, I think we've said before that this seemed to be winding down. Uh, this seemed yeah. to be the final battle, and uh, maybe they both lose that sort of thing. Uh, yeah. But it, but it also seemed like you know, number one, we've been given hints that you know people are going to not make it; they're going to die. Right. Uh, but the other right. thing was um, that it just seems like you put both those guys in the same SUV, you know, and something's got to happen. And maybe I that was right? and next to each other too. They're yes. not even in different seats. Maybe that wasn't the best idea. I don't know. Yeah, I was a bit surprised by that. But, you know, and then with Fusco in the same in the same SUV with them, and yeah. that can't turn out nicely. Uh so when it, when the when they got hit by the dump truck there, I was thinking, yeah, okay, that I I can see I didn't see it coming necessarily, but it doesn't surprise me. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And that, exactly. uh, and then as soon as I think it was Elias who had arranged for that, mm-hmm. uh who said that, you know, he was talking about like he's not actually going to be booked, then it's like, okay, something's going to happen here pretty soon. And very soon it did. I just thought that, uh, I, I just thought, yeah, like having them both in one place. Now what happens after that, that kind of surprised me. That did uh, take me by surprise there where we had, we had seen earlier Reese notice that guy from across the street. And now he's up on a rooftop with a uh, sniper rifle and he's ready to take out both the guys. Yeah. That that did surprise me too. I mean, the the fact that I mean they didn't they didn't try to hide the fact that we needed to be aware that there was this guy watching the situation. But for me, I saw him as more of a threat to Reese. I didn't see him as a threat to the people who were in the vehicle. And so maybe I misinterpreted the scene, or maybe it was meant to go either way. Yeah, to get you thinking that you it know, might be for him, might be for Reese. Yeah. yeah. Because I guess I thought, hey, these guys are going to go off. I thought they were going to go to jail, and that would be all that we would see from them the rest of this season, more than likely. Um, but it turned out he was a threat to – he was making a correction, mm-hmm. and uh, which will get tied in at the very end when, when Greer monologues. And, um, and, and, yeah, so, gosh, blasts down Dominic. There is no doubt Dominic has, has, has left this world. I do think there's a little bit of ambiguity on Elias. The yeah. last time we saw him, he was bleeding out. His eyes were, were were kind of rolling back in his head, but he was not, in my mind, he was not un, unarguably dead. <laughs> he's only what mostly you about, dead. Yes. He's only most. <laughs> I can't even do it now. I'm laughing so hard. <laughs> What he needs is is a nice mutton lettuce and tomato sandwich with a mutton, <laughs> mutton is, is nice really and lean. lean. <laughs> um, so I don't I don't know. What do you think about Elias? Is he dead or is he just mostly dead? I think he is. I think if they can think of a good reason to use him in the next season, they have a reason to do it. They if they haven't burned their bridges with Dominic, mm-hmm. that's the end of that. 
Right. Uh, but I think with Elias, uh, I think they can, if they feel that the character would uh, be useful in season five, they can, they have a chance to bring him back. Yeah. And he is on another show. So that, that might've been their way of just kind of leaving that door open because, uh, you know, he was no more dead than Reese was two episodes ago out there by the cabin. Indeed. Yes. Oh, and Reese was really on the, on the ropes at yeah. that point. Yes. Yeah. So we'll see what happens for now. We're going to, we're going to look at the end of our discussion here. We're going to look at how we came with our predictions for last week, you know, oh, yeah. and I'll just say for now, I do have him on the dead list, but I think there's a little bit of an asterisk that can be put by his name where Elias, or excuse me, Dominic has no asterisks. He has no head left. No, no, not exactly. Um, We finally, so, so we get these guys and we get that, we get the gang war essentially behind us. And then we move on to the electrical substation and, and the way they work that out was very interesting. I'm I'm kind of surprised you could hide an entire electrical substation inside a brownstone somewhere. I don't know. I just seemed that seemed a little weird, but uh but clearly, I mean, that's I guess that's a New York uh I, I mean, not a normal New York thing, but for the purposes of the story, this was something that was uh, known and was there and and used, but this is the place where would it would be easiest to uh get access to the machine to the power grid and that sort of thing. And uh, I liked the guy who was uh, at the door when he yeah. asked, are you Harold, Harold Admin? Oh, man. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the machine's name for him. Now we know. I See, when I first heard it, I'm like, did he say Harold Admin? That's not a bird name. And then I thought, well, I guess the machine doesn't have to call him by a bird name to him. He is Admin. So that's it. There was a question that um, and I think it was uh, Finch. Uh, ask it, uh, no, I think it was a Reese who asked it, if the machine's not here, why are we? And, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's a good point. We were waiting to see. When they opened the doors, I was waiting to see kind of what I was in, anticipating seeing when they opened up the uh, the nuclear power plant room, you know, a couple of seasons ago. I thought it was the same sort of thing, but now it's just something normal, kind of normal. And there was a sign on one of the machines that said, danger, shock hazard. And I'm thinking... I'm shocked. Yeah. So it was right. Yes, thank you. But uh Yeah. But yeah, so it was a it was a great little uh knocking our, our team off kilter here. What is going yeah. on? They still really don't know what's happening. And they've got the Samaritan goons bearing down on them, and mm-hmm. they're like, And what are we supposed to do here? You know? It's we gotta take out the the, the Samaritan guys who are coming after us, but in the meantime, yeah, what what? Yeah, it was it made for a nice climactic situation where the bad guys are honking down on you, you're trapped, you're not in an impenetrable fortress as as tough as it is to get in there, they're gonna find their way in. They did find their way in. At the same time, Samaritan is getting is narrowing down its field of focus. There's only so much space left where the machine can fit itself before it's there's none of it left. Root and, and Finch are trying to assemble this makeshift like a home thing PC to, or something. To, yeah. yeah, To put it in. I mean, there was a lot, lot happening and, and it made for, for me, it was a very exciting uh, standoff. Um, the, the end result of it was very surprising. We'll, we'll get to that in just a moment. But uh, for me, it was really, it was really nice. It was dramatic. It was exciting. It was everybody on their a game. 
it was Reese willing to go out and sacrifice himself for his comrades and for the machine. It was it was really well done. And Reese on his A game is uh, with, with God mode behind him. I mean, it was he was yeah, essentially in the right. same situation there. Yeah. Oh man, three o'clock, yeah. eleven o'clock. Thank you. Yeah, the the smoke grenades, the the machine, and when they pull out, the the, the camera pans out and you see a kind of a wide shot and it starts kind of mapping them out and putting the grid work on top of the whole thing. <laughs> that was pretty awesome. That I love that, that scene that they put together or that shot that they put together for that scene. And so while he's, you know, the Avengers have assembled out there, essentially we uh-huh. have the inside, the re uh, the reality comes to, uh, to Finch and he actually talks to John and says, are you seeing those, you know, anything interesting on the uh, utility poles? And it's like, you had all these, White boxes, Thornhill Enterprise, mm-hmm. Thornhill Utilities. Ah, so you know Finch starts to begin to put it together, and I'm I'm surprised that well, I guess Root got a little bit of uh, instruction, but most of the uh, the impetus for doing this whole download business was uh, Finch just trying to figure out what is it the machine has been trying to do at this point, and yeah. so we start seeing them trying to put the whole thing together without necessarily speaking about each of the things and like. Like you said, we we kind of missed the whole the battery thing, uh, but you know here's all these laptops sitting on ice. They didn't have to mention the ice; they showed it to you, and there they are. That's what they're there mm-hmm. for because they're probably going to overheat with all the things that they're trying to do. But yep. yeah, so we've uploaded the machine. The, up, the machine's uploaded itself to the nation's electrical grid, and I guess that, like you said, that was probably what was happening as the machine was uninstalling itself, so to speak, from the nuclear power plant. Little by little, going out into these uh, these boxes hanging on utility poles. That's that was. Mm-hmm. I, I I've got to hand it to the writers. That was a very good. Whether it's technically feasible, I thought it was uh, for this for the purposes of the story. I'm coming from the, a computer background here. That's what I do, and I I just thought it was it was it was plausible, especially for a kind of near future. You know, it's it's allegedly set in the present, but it's really near future tech that they're right. dealing with. And right. I, I, I thought it was very – I've seen some some uses of computer hardware, computer software that just make no sense. Yeah. And uh, and then this, this – I could see that uh, as being plausible. I like that. Yeah, I'd give it the, the plausible stamp too. You're much more knowledgeable on that stuff than I am. I thought it was really clever and, and certainly a great job by the writers. But I think what the finest moment was in this episode from the writers was that scene in the midst of the chaos – they still managed to to deliver us. It wasn't just John out there on going full on freako God mode. It wasn't just Re- Reese and Root, excuse me, uh, Finch and Root doing what they do best. It, I mean, that would have been enough to make this a great scene. But on top of that, the the writers layered in really one of the most poignant moments that we've ever seen, if not the most, between Finch and his creation and and this is the entirety of the text that the machine said to Harold there it said father i am sorry i failed you i didn't know how to win i had to invent new rules i thought you would want me to stay alive now you are not sure if you think i have lost my way maybe i should die i will not suffer if i do not survive Thank you for creating me. That's just amazing. Really well written, sure. But I mean, that that gives us this incredible look into 
the heart of the machine. And I say the heart in a, you know, when you talk about, you know, Doug, you have a great heart. We're talking about the emotional centerpiece of who you are. And so now I'm saying with that same context or that same meaning, we get to look into the heart of the machine. That's pretty incredible. And I think too that it, and I was I'd said this in a few um, episodes earlier, because all during this uh, this season, Harold has been worried about supercomputer AIs just in general because they are you know the pure logic they they uh, again I come back to his example of uh, if you ask the machine to cure world hunger, one thing it could do is kill a billion people, then everybody else has the, all the food they need. But mm-hmm. And so that's why he was worried about any sort of uh, machine AI uh, running the world sort of thing. And we've seen a little bit and a little more and a little more this season where uh, the machine has kind of proven itself that, no, it wouldn't necessarily do that. It's been kind of uh, suggested, and I thought maybe Harold might be, be seeing this sort of thing, but right here, when you this, this scene right here should, I would think, turn... Uh, Harold's mind completely around and understand that this is not a machine that would be coldly logical, but it does have the uh, the emotions, the uh, the ethics to 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 do the right thing when the uh, right thing needs to be done, and and not to uh, to to understand that it's about people as well, and not just uh, a pure adherence to logic, so to speak. So I think mm-hmm. that if I think we should see next season uh, more of a a change in Harold's perception of uh, the his the AI that he has created, at the very least, not, certainly not Samaritan, but but the one he has created. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that was such a good scene. They get it bundled up. Uh, the shock warning comes back full circle here for Harold as he <laughs> tries to pull the uh, and, and you know he had to do what he had to do to get it off of there before that surge hit hit the computer because then it would fry everything and and that would be. The death of the machine. And so. we've got just enough to, you know, essentially keep the heart beating for a little bit there. And it's basically yeah. on life support. So, uh, you know, like, uh, like Benita said in her uh, comment about, uh, about her rating, they really do have a, a chance to really reboot the, uh, not just the machine, but the whole series and, and make things a little different here. Where, because, I mean, it isn't, this is not something that you can just, load up and see what happens. You know, it's going to have to be something that they, I I can imagine the first two or three episodes of the next season dealing with now what, what what do we do with this, uh, this, uh, this DNA strand essentially uh, of, uh, of a, uh, of a computer that we, we, we need it there because right now Samaritan is the only game in town. Right. So I can see, you know, I said, Two or three episodes where we actually have to deal with now what? Now how do we deal with this? How do we get the uh, machine mm-hmm. back and up and running? Yeah, it's pretty bleak, and that uh, that bleakness is is certainly resonating because of the final shot that we get here from Team Machine, which I think we'll still save for just a few more minutes, and what happens with the C storyline, which I think we should get into, which involves control and. Uh, the 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 guy that she's having help her, um, Grice. So there's not a whole lot here, but but definitely some some very important things. She is trying desperately to figure out what's going on. Now let's talk about her her character arc here for just a moment because she's come in a in a season's time 
from being a full-on enemy of the machine, uh, a team machine, to really one of their best hopes of survival in a, in a very, a very passionate uh, uh, ally. I say passionate because that's really the way that she operates, right? I mean, she goes full guns no matter which which way she's pointing. She seems to have a a strong moral compass. So, I mean, you, it's hard to say that really with a straight face when you think about how she's just willing to to you know. Uh, find out if people are allergic to lead or not, but yeah, you know, she does it out of a sense of, of honor and a, out of patriotism and out of, uh, you know, trying to, to, to do what's best for the greater good. And so, you know, she does do it out of the sense of that, but she certainly has come full circle in from where she was just a season ago. And at this time though, it really does put her on a, out in a bad way. Yeah, I mean, she. I think part of the reason that she has kind of turned around is because she's realized that she's had a mole in her group uh, for some time now. And mm-hmm. if not a, a moral compass, at least, uh, like you said, uh, the honor, uh, her own honor, you know, doing the things what she believes are right and, and, and not really uh, appreciating the fact that uh, somebody is spying on her, these, uh, this group that they have contracted out, essentially, the, uh, the terrorist... Uh, the protection of the United States that they, uh, they can't trust them. She realizes they can't be trusted. And it's at this point, you know, that she, this is finally now coming to a head and, uh, she's trying to find out all this information about May 6, what's going to, what's going to happen and whatnot. And there, it, the security in, in uh, DC has been kind of a, kind of a low level because of a, a memo that she allegedly wrote. Uh, but once again, it's, it's uh Samaritan cranking out the, uh, the forgeries to to get things to get the situation set up just the way it wants to. Yeah. So the correction ended up being well, the bomb ended up being fake, all in an, in an effort to to kind of figure out who needed to be corrected, aka eliminated. That was quite a bit different than than I was expecting to be the case. I mean that that's not what I thought was meant by a correction. What about you? No, no, I was expecting something uh, something bigger. And, yeah. uh, and so uh, that's perfect. Again, credit, full credit to the writers here. Yeah. Uh, you have yeah. a, you've got this e- expectation built up and I, I, I don't know what happened to the propane tanks that were supposedly going to hold a bomb. Maybe that whole thing was a, uh, uh, a misdirection, uh, potentially. The whole thing was, it reminded me of what we got with vigilance last year where vigilance was this enemy that we had all season. And then the finale, which I rewatched last season's finale today. And in the finale of last season, we it's revealed that the whole vigilance thing was a scam to to try to make this false threat that the government saw in order to the, make them feel like they needed Samaritan when when vigilance was created by Samaritan. It was all a ruse to get itself into position, and that's kind of what the the correction was here. While, while it wasn't a whole season long arc. It was still a ruse created by Samaritan in order to, you know, uh, you know, send send the bird dog ahead to flush out the doves so we can figure out which ones we need to shoot down. That's kind of what it was. It was just a, a means to flush out those who were not on their team so they could be discovered and eliminated. And now, it's 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 kind of yep. like the, uh, uh, the he's pulled the wool over their eyes using the same wool. 
last time, you know, last season and this season, you know, mm-hmm. a, a major misdirection. And then what's really happening is over here. So yeah, I, uh, I, I see what you, it's, it's very, it's, it's one, one of those things that you think, man, I should have, I should have caught that, you know, he's done this before and, and I can let him do it again. Yeah. Yeah. But it was, I just, I didn't see it coming. I, I thought it was going to be something like, and maybe it was because that's what they told us, right? The Nathan Ingram thing. This is this. They were trying to compare that to what uh, Control had done with with Nathan Ingram and stuff like that. And and so in my mind, I thought, yeah, this is going to be a pinpointed attack for the purpose of of accomplishing a means that Samaritan saw as necessary to its ultimate goal. But that wasn't it at all. It was it was just a, a way of fleshing out the enemy. Now we talked a little bit about Elias and whether or not Elias is alive. Um, control is led away in the exact same manner that she's told Greer that she would lead him out. And that it was with a black bag over her head and her hands zip tied behind her back. Now she also said she was going to put him in a really deep hole. Is that where she's heading or is she heading off to some sort of execution? I think they will. Uh, I, I, I like the character and I think they will continue with her. Um, I don't want to say redemption. It's not really. It's not really that, but it's more of a you know realization of what's really going on. And maybe she, you know, maybe she does uh, uh, really turn and become uh, one of uh, Samaritan's uh, biggest enemies, and maybe uh, you know line up with Team Machine a little more. But because she knows uh, about these AIs, you know, so she doesn't have to be kept in the dark about any of that. Uh, but she has a. Uh, I think she has a really good. I, there's still more for her to do. Uh, I think she's gonna. To make the irony complete, get thrown into the quote-unquote pit, you know, wherever that is, and uh, and left there for, at least for now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Okay, so Doug, we're at the end. Now we've gone through our storylines, and, and that's kind of what we're left with here, where the final scene, as the, as the season fades to black, we have Reese and Finch and Root, guns blazing, although Finch still hasn't pulled that gun. Still didn't get that resolved, right? <laughs> um, it was waiting for that. I really was. I was too, man. But we didn't even get a showdown between him and Greer, which was my prediction that, that Greer would be dead by the hand of, of Finch's gun. But that's where it ends, where these three guys are standing off against two suburban fools of, of Greer goons. Control is being led away with a bag over her head. They've got nobody left in Washington who knows anything about them because Samaritan was able to flush out everybody that we knew of Mm -hmm. and kill them. This is a bleak situation, man. Look, when we, when you mentioned the way last season left off and the way last season left off was the, the machine was on the run. They all had to stay off the grid. They all had these false identities they had to go their own separate ways. They couldn't be seen together. And it was bleak. It was like, dang, how are they going to get out of this deal? And you, I, for me, Doug, I expected when, when this season wrapped, I thought we would have overcome the obstacle that our team faced this year. I knew that it wouldn't be easy. I knew that it might come with the loss of life of people that we cared about, but at least they would have done that. And that is not what we got. Instead, we are on a, in a more dire situation than we were last season at this point. And I'm not complaining. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that, holy cow, how's that for a story arc? I mean, it's like 
it, it didn't take the, the movement that I expected. I, I thought there would be a little bit of a lift here at the end of the season. A lot of uncertainty, but a lift. No. No, there was no lift. It was straight into the pit of despair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We are full of Princess Bride references this week. Hey, all day, every day, baby. <laughs> well, yeah, and the thing, too, is even at the end of last season, we have this bleakness uh, where we realize that Samaritan really is going to come up uh, and spin up and, and be online. and we ha- But we do have the little bit of hope where Root has you know, installed, you know, servers on on the Samaritan cluster, and so they will not be easily seen. Uh, they'll just, yeah, the, their own identities will be kept uh, separate, and, uh, you know, Samaritan won't be able to find them. This episode, you know, so, so it was a little bleak, but there was a little ray of sunshine. This episode, no sunshine. I'm sorry. No, they're, they're walking into a hail of bullets, controls being let off, and Greer seems to be, you know, you know, just has got everything going his way. You know, he's figured out who he can trust, who he can't. He's getting rid of his enemies, and thank you very much. Now, I, I have no doubt that our heroes will uh, get out of the the situation they find themselves in with the uh, with the gunfire going on and all that stuff. I think we're I think we're pretty well. We've seen that enough times to have feel 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 like that's the outcome there. I, I agree with that. Le- leave with a bunch of guys holding their knees, but. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I think we have, in terms of going forward, what's what's the upside? The machine is offline, essentially. Samaritan has full reign, and I think we're going to see uh, a lot of what that means in the first episode of next season. Uh, so mm-hmm. there's really not the same, you know, it's much bleaker. Like you said, We were. Uh, I was kind of expecting that maybe this season would be the Samaritan season, and then we've gone to something else. But no, it's, it's actually going to be... Um, uh, a multi-season thing for uh, for this uh, AI, and that's uh, I I like I, I, I'm thinking about that. I was like, well, you know, I like that. That's not that's not a bad idea to uh, not have the big bad who comes in the beginning of the season is gone by the end of the season, and the next, you know, mm-hmm. that's you know, then becomes way too predictable. So they've done that. They've got gotten away from that. They've they've uh, they don't do that, and so you got Elias, who is a multi-season character. Um, mm-hmm. We had HR multi-season. We now we have. The we have Samaritan being the multi-season bad guy. Now we did have just one season of Dominic, and uh, you know, but there comes a point where you really can't keep adding people to the uh, stage uh, as much because it just gets a little too crowded. But yeah, I like the uh, I like the idea that Samaritan really is going to be a uh, kind of a really nasty uh, supervillain to our machine. Yeah, it, it really is it's setting itself up for a very nice another another battle. You know, I was just sitting here. It's funny. You just when you sit here as you were talking, you mentioned Dominic being gone after one season, and when you said him that, I was reminded of the picture that we got. Remember the picture that was hanging in the restaurant there? Yes. And it was of, of was it Foreman and Ollie, or was it somebody else and Ollie? Foreman and Ollie, Frazier and Ollie. I can't recall. Yeah, I'm not but, sure. Yeah, I know either. what you're talking about. Yeah, we, we it was yeah. about the the old the uh, the new guard taking out the old guard. That's. The the well, but the old guard prevailed. Oh, that's yes, 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 yes. Yeah. The old guard that did prevail. Yes, but as you, but as you were mentioning that, you know, I was thinking about that picture and thinking, man, we didn't really get that. We didn't get that where Elias, the old dog, beat Dominic, the new dog. But what if it was really the old machine beating the new the the new machine? And and that's a story that we don't have resolved yet. It looks like the new machine has has 
beaten the old dog. The you know Samaritan has beaten the machine, but he's on so fast. He's I on mean, the ropes. The, 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 you know, he's on the he's, ropes. He's ducking and weaving, and he's and he's hiding right, right now. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So and and uh, gosh, I mean, I think all of us would agree that it seems like the machine is going to prevail at some point. That would seem like the the natural way that would make a, a happy ending for or a resolution to the storyline. So, yes, yeah, definitely not a, a happily ever after. Not at this point, it's not. I mean, they've got to get the machine out of the box. Got to get the got to get him breathed back into life, and you have to do that in a way that Samaritan doesn't detect you. That's a pretty tall hard order. order, right there. Yeah, and I can't wait for next season. No, oh, absolutely. To wait for three months. yeah so your predictions of of life and death were let me scroll down martine link of course we had both of those in hindsight last Mm -hmm. week you also predicted elias and control and those were the two ones that were both like "Eh, it could go either way yeah (laughs) uh i predicted dominic he's dead uh control could go either way greer very much alive yeah so neither one of us did particularly well there Actual deaths, Martin, Link, Dominic, and then Grice. Those are for sure dead. I put Shift Leader on here because I don't know her name, but she died. We did, Had we seen her before this episode? I was trying to remember if they had uh, brought her up before. I don't recall. I mean, I, if she goes into that count of six deaths, that that shouldn't count. We didn't we didn't care about her. I barely care about Grice. Well, had we seen had we seen Grice before? Yeah, he let Shaw go way back in the day. Oh, We've seen him a few okay. times before. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it's her old partner. So, um, but for sure, Martin, Link, Dominic, Elias may go into that, and then Grice and Shift Leader. Those are the six that I came up with, and some of those are kind of weak. If those were the <laughs> six calls that they had to make that they mentioned at Paley Center, uh, maybe you really made four calls or three, <laughs> <laughs> or or made one call that said you might die, you might not. Yeah. It depends on how your other show does. <laughs> Maybe that's what the call to control was then. I don't know. Yes. Yeah, or Elias, yeah. Elias especially. Yeah. Well, you get shot. Yeah, exactly. We're just going to tell yeah. you you get shot. After that, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. And Shaw's still the same way too, right? She's up in the air. I, she's alive. She's alive. Yeah. I, I, and I said, I know I said earlier uh, in previous episodes that if she wasn't dead, I thought it would be kind of cheating. Uh, but they've done... They've they've rescued that I think um, yeah I, once, well and once they showed her last week now I guess they they have to they have to kill her for sure if if we're to believe that she's dead yeah yeah so it's it's she, she's not dead but uh, so it, yeah. it takes a little bit away from her quote unquote death scene you know back in the mm-hmm. elevator and the underground thing and the whole bit so yeah uh, but uh, but if they if they and I think I said also at the time if they bring her back in a way you know there is they think they, they probably can i don't know i'm not a tv writer i don't know uh you know what the you know some possibilities could be but there is a way i i can see that they could bring her back in in, in a way that i would be okay i'm okay with it uh so so that still remains to be seen yeah uh, one last thing i'm just kind of looking back over the chat room comments because i've missed a lot as we've just been we've been i've so focused on on our conversation, let me find this. I think it was Zachary Chong that mentioned it. the The final song that was being played during that montage was absolutely perfect. I think it was called "Welcome to the Machine" by Pink Floyd. I'm mm-hmm. trying to find where he put that in there. He mentions it. That was another spectacular choice of music. They really do a fantastic job. There it is. "Welcome to the Machine" by Pink Floyd. Yeah, 
Great song, wasn't it? Yeah, when I was listening to it, and it, it was at the point in the episode where it wasn't background music, it was it was foreground music, and you're kind of seeing some of the wrap up, and you know, very obviously, "Welcome to the Machine" or whatever, however it goes. I'm not, I, I don't sing Pink Floyd, just like that. I'm sure, yeah, uh, something like that. Anyway, but yeah, no, it was it was it was very. When I was hearing that, it was like I I often don't catch the music aspects of a of a show. You know, the theme, the 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 how it goes along with the action and that sort of stuff. Not really that, you know, focused on that, but that was right there in front of you. You couldn't miss it. And if I didn't miss it, you know, a lot of people would have caught that, I would suppose. So, you know, I, I was a great, uh, great choice for, it. I didn't know it was Pink Floyd at the time, but I, but now having said that, it's like, oh yeah, I can, I can hear that. I can hear that in the voices. Yeah, it was great. All right. Let's do some surveillance in the news then. What uh, do you have for us this week? Well, we don't have much in the way of uh, spoilers for next week. So I have a couple of things for for surveillance in the news. One of them was sent to us from Andrew J, and uh, it's from the uh, magazine on the online version of Mother Jones. It's called The Informants. The FBI has built a massive network of spies to prevent another domestic attack, but are they busting terrorist plots or leading them? That's the question here in this, and it's a very long um, uh, article. It has a story of one particular one, but it. Uh, basically comes down to this, sir. Ever since 9-11, counterterrorism has been the FBI's number one priority, consuming the lion's share of the budget and much of the attention of field agents and a massive network of informants. After years of emphasizing informant recruitment as a key task for its agents, the Bureau now maintains a roster of 15,000 spies. Uh, the informants could be doctors, clerks, imams, some might not even consider themselves informants, but the FBI regularly taps all of them as part of a domestic intelligence apparatus. And it goes through some statistics, talks about in 1975, the FBI had 1,500 informants, and now we're up to 15,000. So yeah, they've uh, really uh, jacked up the numbers here, uh, like I said, especially after 9-11. The Bureau's strategy has changed significantly from the days when officials feared another coordinated international financed attack from an Al-Qaeda sleeper cell. Well, today, counterterrorism experts believe groups like Al-Qaeda, battered by the war in Afghanistan and the efforts of the global intelligence community, They've shifted to a franchise model. Well, that's interesting. It kind of sounds like a McDonald's. Uh, using the Internet to encourage sympathizers to carry out attacks in their name. And ISIS uh, seems to be doing the same thing as well. Uh, the main domestic threat, as the FBI sees it, is a lone wolf. So the answer that they have has been a strategy known variously as preemption, prevention, and disruption, identifying and neutralizing potential lone wolves before they move into action. And so the FBI agents and informants target not just active jihadists, but tens of thousands, tens of, thousands of law-abiding people seeking to identify those disgruntled few who might participate in a plot given the means and the opportunity. And then, in case after case, the government provides the plot, the means, and the opportunity. So... The informants report to their handler on people who have, like, made statements sympathizing with terrorists. Those names are cross-referenced with existing intelligence data. And then the FBI agents may then assign an undercover operative to approach that target by posing as radicals. Sometimes the operative will propose a plot, provide explosives, even lead the target to a fake oath to Al-Qaeda. Ooh. Once enough incriminating information has been gathered, then there's an arrest and a press conference announcing another foiled plot. 
Now, it's interesting, they say, if it sounds vaguely familiar, it's because such sting operations are a fixture in the headlines. Remember the Washington Metro bombing plot, the New York mm-hmm. subway bombing plot, the guy who planned to blow up the Sears Tower, the teenagers seeking to bomb a Portland Christmas tree lighting. Each of those plots, and dozens more across the nation, was led by an FBI asset. The problem with the cases we're talking about is that defendants would not have done anything if not kicked in the rear end by government agents, says Martin Stoller, a lawyer who represented a man caught in a 2004 sting. They're creating crimes to solve crimes so they can claim a victory in the war on terror. Now, in the FBI's defense... Sounds like Samaritan. <laughs> there you go, yes. Now, in the FBI's defense, supporters argue that the Bureau will only pursue a case when the target clearly is willing to participate in violent action. If you're doing a sting right, you're offering the target multiple chances to back out, says Peter Ahern, a retired FBI special agent who directed the Western New York Joint Terrorism Task Force. He said, uh, real people don't say, yeah, let's go bomb it. Real people call the cops. So there's a couple of little, um, you know, uh, different ways to look at that. Uh, right. Is it entrapment? And and it, it's a very interesting um, article about that because, you know, there is the, the question of entrapment is brought up. And uh, and sometimes what happens is the uh, that while most of the conversations are recorded, sometimes the ones that would show entrapment aren't, you know, so or could have shown it, you know, and maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. So it's 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 a it's, it's kind of a gray area here. But, uh, you know, maybe we are actually stopping a lot of these uh terrorist plots with a little more surveillance hmm okay and finally some good news barb sent this one along the headline is court rules nsa program illegal a federal appeals court on thursday said that the telephone metadata collection program under which the national security agency gathers up millions of phone records on an ongoing daily basis is illegal even under the patriot act so the, the judge writing for a three-judge panel of the Second Circuit Court of Appeals said the program, quote, exceeds the scope of what Congress has authorized. So there you go. It can be, uh, it can be fought back from. So there you are. A little bit of good news on the surveillance front. Very good. Well, at least it ended on some good news. I wanted to. I really wanted to. You know, <laughs> Finally, some good news in this podcast these today. These can be such downers, but I needed to have a little something that... that so thanks, Barb, for sending that along. Indeed. Well, speaking of Barb, let's get into our feedback segment, and we're not going to get it kicked off with her this week. No, no, no. We let her kick it off almost every week, but this week we have two audio feedbacks. Ooh. So we're going to let it uh, get kicked off with the uh, Polish blonde. Here she is. Good morning, everyone. This is Chuchi Judy, the Polish blonde from Worcester. Get it right, Daryl. I don't think I've sent in audio because you keep mangling my hometown, Daryl. So get it right. Basically, since Fringe went off the air. So there's a first time for everything. Of course, I'm calling in in regards to the season finale of POI, which was fabulous. I give it 10 out of 10 irrelevant Samaritan warriors, fighters, whatever you want to call them. Anyway. Oh my gosh, was that fantastic or not? I think the only thing that was missing is a shot or a viewing or, you know, any sort of indication of Shaw. I mean, we got it in the last episode, but this episode, you know, if she had been there or something else was going on, I think it would have been 
just that much better. But I guess we have to save something for next season. But that was fantastic. The tension was great. And it seems like every, you know, there's still a silver lining there. There's still some hope. Else we won't get next season. So this was great. But, uh, you know, it was absolutely fantastic. I am disappointed that it seems that we've lost both Dominic and um, Elias. And that's the only thing. Because all those other characters, I mean, they cleaned the slate on this, didn't they? But in, in all those other characters give the show such depth. We like them, you know, talking to them, hearing from them, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's like, what are they going to do for the next season? Just concentrate on the core cast? Not that that's bad or anything, but just makes you wonder. Anyway, let you guys keep talking. Thanks for the great show. Hey, and bring back Karen. Maybe you guys can do a threesome for a POI review. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Think Karen would be uh, interested in doing this every week? Um, I don't know. She she's, she's quite the podcaster. Very she's, busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. We'll definitely have Karen on. Maybe even just like a, a one episode, all three of us or something. Or you know, maybe I'll just take more vacations next year. <laughs> maybe I could go up there to Worcester. Huh? All right. How is that? And, Is that and, better? And just a reminder, if you would like us to uh, not mangle your name or your hometown, please send an audio feedback. Thank you. It's so weird how that came to be. Like, I definitely mispronounced Worcester the first time that I ever had to read it for, for the Fringe podcast. I wasn't familiar with how the, the Bostonian pronunciation was. And so I had two two choices once I had, because I had done it a few times. And so I had two choices. One would be to to make a correction and start pronouncing it the Bostonian way, which is what any respectable or respectful person would do. <laughs> but so naturally I chose the other way, which was to completely go off the rails with my butchering. So it became Worcester, which doesn't even make sense. Like you can't even like get that pronunciation out of the word. And but then it was just like I would just like every time well, Worcester or something. I was just like really trying to play it up, which, uh, anyway, Worcester. Worcester. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. As she mentioned about them cleaning the slate. Yeah, there's, we had quite a few people moved off the stage uh, this episode. So, yeah, it, uh, uh, as has been suggested uh, by Benita, maybe this is a chance to reboot not just the machine, not just the, uh, the machine's story, but also um, the cast. Yeah, exactly. We'll see. It'll be, it really will be interesting to see how, how it all shakes out next season. All right. Thank you, the Polish Blonde. Good to hear from you again. Hopefully I'm back in your good graces and we can hear from you more often. We would love that. We also love to hear from Barb, and here she is. Hi, Daryl and Doug. This is Barb calling in with feedback on the season finale of POI, Yahweh. I'll give the Seppi nine fake propane cylinder bombs. And so the long wait begins to see what happens to our team and the fragment of our machine that still lives. The correction was an ingenious plot by the writers and it makes sense when I think about it. We saw in the election results several months ago that Samaritan-insured individuals were elected that could be manipulated. Samaritan believes, as Greer articulated, that you don't take over the world with gaudy displays of violence, which is very true. 
He did say, though, that most of humanity is docile and pliant, and that there were only a few hundred people that Samaritan needed to remove to control the world. All it had to do was to get rid of the disruptors, the outliers who have problems with authority, and the disloyal. I don't agree with that. It took more than a few hundred people to to found and fight for their freedoms in the new world that we now know as the United States. With Samaritan only looking at one year's worth of what I will call people actions, it wouldn't get a good understanding of what the human race is capable of fighting for or surviving for, and maybe this will be its downfall. Our team is in a really tough place. They no longer have access to resources and the machine can't help them. Control is locked up, and I'm going to say she's not dead, and I'm not going to make the same mistake that I made with Shaw. Control's alive, and she'll be back next year. So our team may need to rely on others to keep them safe, such as Zoe and Harper, and perhaps other people that we've seen in the past that we've just forgotten. But Samaritan is going to continue to hunt them down as part of the correction, because again, they are disruptors, outliers, and they are, at least in Samaritan's mind, disloyal. We may begin next season, several months after the correction, and we would be able to see what Samaritan has done. Remember that every person is supposed to have a particular job or a task to do. Very socialist sounding. Our team is going to have to invent new rules to fight Samaritan, as our machine tried to do, but was not successful in doing. I think that Harold's true epiphany is going to have to wait a little bit longer. He finally realized that he truly valued his machine and wanted to save it. And now that he's gone back and forth on that during the past couple of years as to whether or not the machine was really a good thing, but he realized at the end that this was his machine. It was his creation. The machine showed him that it was willing to fight for both them and for itself. So Harold may learn that he needs to fight for himself as well and not be as passive. So I guess it'll be another year before he uses that gun to save Root. Gentlemen, thanks for another great season. This is Barb signing out and making sure that the power surge didn't damage any of my electronic devices. Well, she's here in the live show, so at least she has one device apparently working, or she's replaced it. But I'm hoping that means she came unscathed. And she also mentions the Chekhov's gun. That's really unusual for that not to have been brought back around. Yes, yes. I mean, unless that's really a long, you know, the, the, playing that the, the long con, not a con, but a, yeah, you know, a, you're right. Really extending that out. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And you know, and, and I liked. Because it's, it would have made sense to do this, as she noted that the machine was not just fighting for for its people, but for itself, and the idea that Harold should learn that as well. Harold has to fight for himself, and so that would it would have been nice to see a little payoff there. But maybe that's um, something we pay off next season. But yeah, the the using the using the gun for whatever reason to probably to to save a root from something again to show the major uh change that has gone through uh that their relationship has gone through so uh yeah i think there's a they've really left a lot of uh story to be told in the next season yeah yeah they really have all right well let's going to do some of the written feedback uh this comes in from vivic this is how a finale should end, and POI writers know how to deliver a punch to the gut and emotions. 
I was thinking they were going to do the obvious choice of machine integrating itself into the Samaritan and both become as a single entity. In root and Greer terms, the one true God. But it didn't happen, and I love it. The scene between Finch and the machine in the end was the first time I teared up for a POI episode. Not even Carter's death fazed me. But this was intellectual sadness of the top order and signifies the true pain and horror between a creator and creation like the Frankenstein story. And Greer's speech to control is so true And I so want him to be dead. (laughs) A bad guy with ideals is terrifying and so impossible to shake. As they say, the most gruesome villains believe what they do is always correct and is better for the society. Reese's badass level spiked and shattered the bar with this episode. Absolutely. Reese was becoming complacent this season, but when cornered and he thinks all is left to fate and just relentlessly moves forward, he shines. His God mode utilization is awesome. And POI music time, Pink Floyd's Welcome to the Machine, another song to my playlist. These are all the great things which made me completely neglect the ridiculousness of some plot points, such as the phone call in the beginning, it wasn't ridiculous. I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. I thought it was kind of cool. Sorry. <laughs> uh, the single car prison transfer for the most notorious New York gangsters. Yeah, that was, yeah. yeah. Uh, Reese forgot to put on the night vision goggles, which Root delicately stole from the rich guy. So we covered that. I think we probably talked him off the ledge mm-hmm. on that one. We were talked off the ledge on that one. And Samaritan agents are too dumb. Can't even one guy shoot the 15 laptops? I thought the same thing. It's like, the laptops are right there. They're surely going to catch a stray bullet. No, nothing. nothing. I wa- well, I wondered if these guys even knew what those were there for. You know, they're, 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 yeah. their job is to take out the people. So right. I don't care they're playing Doom on the, you know, on the laptops. Just, you know, get the people. <laughs> right. Good stuff. All righty. We have, and I don't know who this is in... in uh, in without their secret identity here, Shark Mole Spy is the name of the uh, yeah. the handle of the person here. Hi, Daryl and Doug. Hi, Shark Mole Spy. Hello there. This is your friendly neighborhood mole undercover in the POI Shark Watch group. They are gleefully waiting for POI's cancellation and said that the show's ratings is due to Nolan's being racist hmm? and having a massive ego and is a narcissist for killing off Carter to make way for her cat women. They justify it. By that same story, the claim justifies their point. A blogger is claiming that the series finale is the worst episode by far. Terra Incognita was the best one. I guess because it had Carter. Here's the link to the, uh, <laughs> to the blogger. And I, I, read the, I read the thing. It's not worth linking to, but um, they make their point with lots of caps and exclamation points. So it must be true. <laughs> of course. It's yeah, the absolutely. only way to make it true. Um, and, and they do make the point that the series ratings are at the rock bottom. But, you know... Like I've said before, almost every other show on Thursdays would love those numbers. For them, it would be the uh, the rock top, the mo- top of the mountain. Anyway, so, yeah. And they also, you know, nitpick about, they think it's an intelligent show, but there was a continuity error here. Every show's got that. Sorry. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, really. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, jeez. Shaw gave English commands to bear. Okay, golly. And that, that destroys the show. Anyway. 
So, Shark Mole Spy continues. My personal opinion to why is that basketball and hockey playoffs are on, drawing people away, and also, my personal opinion, is that the Nielsen system of ratings is flawed, and I heard a bit of why it's flawed on a podcast called the Nerdist Raiders Panel. However, I am a bit afraid CBS will cancel the show before resolving the cliffhanger of Season 4, leaving us in the dark. What will happen next, like many shows that have been canceled that have massive cliffhangers in their finales? I hope both you guys can reassure me that this is the case. Hope to hear from you soon. Um, Shark Mole Spy, I think we're gonna we're gonna do a little bit of that a little later. Uh, and we don't have a a spoiler section, so we're gonna talk about uh, a little bit of the uh, or the renewal possibilities here. But yeah, I think we're doing all right. And he says, "P.S. Does POI have a deal for syndication that means it needs at least eighty eight episodes before it can be canceled?" I think. Don't know, and syndication means you need a hundred, I think, uh, if I recall right. And maybe that's old uh, information. I think that's a little bit outdated. I mean, that's been the number forever, but I think that number is starting to come down uh, over the last couple of years, maybe. But let's see how many episodes do they have? Uh, Eighty-five. They've got ninety episodes. No, not bad. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Shark Mole Spy. Thank you for being the spy in the. Shark-infested waters over there. We appreciate your sacrifice. <laughs> uh, and uh, we've got this one from Andrew, and it says, I give this recipe for success 10 ingredients. Like the machine's message in Asylum, the entire ending sequence here was awe-inspiring, and the message this time was even more emotional. The ending of If Then Else and a few scenes in Terra Incognita hit me harder on second viewing, but this one had me in tears very quickly. What I did notice more on second viewing was the fast pace, at least in the early portion, perfectly reasonable given the stakes and the follow-up to Asylum. There were nice moments throughout the episode, including the lineman at the beginning juxtaposed with the invisible struggle, Dominic's bookending reference to the Mesh Network, and Root's quip amidst the intensity of the final scene. Caleb thanking Mr. Swift, plus Reese's parting scenes with Fusco and Iris added to the emotional palette. The latter, again, reflects Reese's development, and his promise to Iris seems like a good catalyst for flashbacks. The scene of him getting some night air was probably the single most thrilling part of the episode, and a bit of a throwback. The way he dropped the plan B was reminiscent of a similar scene in the pilot. I love how one of Greer's lines was used as a brief voiceover transition back to the substation. It felt like a precursor to the full voiceover, which added to the tension. The combined gravitas of Greer and Control squaring off two verbal heavyweights, each making good points, was awesome. John Nolan gave another chilling finale performance in those scenes. Elias went out having avenged Anthony and having, indeed, not gone to Rikers. Dominic was always aiming high. He wanted the keys to the city. He wanted to make a statement, make a name for himself, and his drive was enough for him to be taken out by a higher power, similar to Suleiman Khan from Search and Destroy. Oh, yeah. I feel like there's something classic about Yahweh, particularly the ending sequence. Overall, however, Season 4 seems to be more about the journey than the destination. Team Machine's operation is intact, Reese is opening up, Finch has come to terms with his creation and grown closer with Root, who still believes in the machine and has even gained some camaraderie with Reese. Shaw's whereabouts and mental state are unclear, Root's hacker group is out there somewhere, and Claire still has misgivings about Samaritan. 
With all of this and more, I'm very excited for the prospect of season five. And that, again, is from Andrew, and very, very well said. I liked the thought that this was more about this season was more about the journey than the destination, and yeah, it, yeah. It, 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 that's what we wind up with. We don't have, we don't really have a destination at the end of season four like we had at the end of season three. Uh, it's more of you know getting through uh, this one stage of the war with Samaritan, moving on to something else. Like we said, we don't have you know any light at the end of the tunnel at all like we had a little bit of at the end of season three. So no, I uh, I completely agree it's a great uh, analysis of that yeah excellent analysis okay we have a a rather lengthy one here from benson ferris who didn't like it as much as you and i did i don't think we'll see yahweh was the most disappointing of the four season finales you know i'm trying to remember some of the earlier season finales but i would agree about uh, about last year's it seemed like there should have been another episode since a lot of the plot just hung there A lot of characters were not present who I thought surely would make an appearance. Our favorite emotionless mercenary, Shaw, was nowhere to be seen after she was driven away. Gabriel did not turn up with a confirmation of what happened with him slash Samaritan and the president. And Samaritan's prize recruit, Claire Mahoney, still has not returned to choose her allegiance. A twist was hinted at by the showrunners for weeks, and I wasn't even sure what that twist was, the machine living on power cables, the machine ending up in the suitcase, the correction being a test, Samaritan killing Dominic and Elias. I was willing to wait all season for our machine to turn the tables and reveal its plan for defeating Samaritan. But there was no secret army, a virus software in reverse, Harper being one of the thousands of secret recruits that the machine has gathered to defeat Samaritan, a third machine that we'd never heard about or anything at all. I'm not as creative as Jonathan Nolan to come up with a good enough twist. I had complete faith that the machine and writers would blow me slash us away with a twist that none of us would have seen and explained away some of the intricacies of this season. Sadly, it never came. It was a somber note to leave the season on. Now, I want to be certain that I don't sound like Shark Watch. I still love POI. <laughs> we don't want to be in you know, danger falling into that. I still love POI and will definitely be watching season five. I was very glad that none of the four main characters died. I had been worried that Root would die for weeks now. It would have been great if Fusco were more involved in protecting the machine and through that learns the truth of its existence. The scene where the machine saves Reese by giving him God mode through a fax was awesome as was the scene where Root got keys from the fireman. She was once again being dumb after that when she takes the night vision goggles, but not the gun, in the penthouse. Control, I thought, would be awesome in the episode, especially when she briefly captured Greer. My excitement was kept at bay, waiting to make sure that she didn't fail to live up to her potential. But I could only shake my head and sigh, as what was once the strongest character did not kill Greer. I liked the contrast between Dominic and Caleb, both of whom were introduced in the Pi episode. One of Finch's pupils unknowingly helped to save the machine, while the other unknowingly wanted to exploit the machine. Hmm. Now that that's a very good, uh, very good analysis there. Mm-hmm. I wish that Root had shown some remorse. She is determined to save the machine, but doesn't acknowledge nor regret that its predicament is directly her fault. If last episode she had listened to those around her instead of blindly following a lead toward what may or may not have been Shaw, then they wouldn't have been captured, the machine wouldn't have revealed its location to save them, and the machine wouldn't need to be desperately compressed into a suitcase. 
I'm curious now if Samaritan slash Greer knows that the machine still exists. I'm hoping for an incredible season five and smarter heroes this time around. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Some some good points in there. And and there's a definite, you don't have to, 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 in my mind, you don't have to say, hey, look, I'm not like Shark Watch. I mean, it's very clear that you're a fan of the show. And and this is fair criticism. What we get from Shark Watch is just ridiculousness. But uh, I, I, you know, I, one thing that that came to mind here is, as you're reading the feedback, is that Control kind of has, has been blind as well. She's been duped a couple of times now, mm-hmm. in both what we saw here, where she fe- followed a plan that ended up being a trick, and she was outed as being disloyal to Samaritan, uh, and then she was duped in the first place from from giving them the feeds, and so. Uh, she's, um, when it comes down to a battle of wits between her and Greer, it seems like she's going to lose every time. Now, will she ultimately be in a position where she can square off against Greer and have the upper hand? Maybe, but at this point, he's kind of had his way with her. I would be, uh, I would hate to be in the receiving end of that once she finally gets her chance to, uh, uh, you know, get back at, at all the things that Greer has done, uh, done to her. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Great feedback this week. Absolutely. Man alive. Everybody brought their A game. Thank you to everybody. We'll be back next season. We'll give you the feedback line if you want to go ahead and bookmark it or put it in your phone, however you want to do it. But you can call us at 304-837-2278 or easily go over to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback. And there you can upload an audio file, use the SpeakPipe widget, or typey-typey out an email, all kinds of ways to get in touch with us over there. And we are on Facebook. We will be, we'll keep uh, posting a few things there, if, especially uh, reposts of uh, uh, what CBS does, a person of interest. We can talk about what uh, what you think is uh, in store for next season, that sort of thing. Uh, look at Facebook, facebook.com slash groups slash person of interest GSM, or just search for person of interest podcast. That's uh, probably the easiest thing to do. And for all your other wonderful TV show podcasts, check out uh, Golden Spiral Media on Facebook and become a fan of that. And we got a lot of other podcasts as well, as well as, oh, I don't know, Under the Dome, let's say. That's one of them. That's coming up. Yeah, that's what Doug will be doing this summer. I will be doing the Berserker cast, which is a Falling Skies podcast. So... Uh, that'll be its final season this summer, so oh. looking forward to doing that with Emily. Well, we don't have any spoilers for next week. We don't have anything like that, so I chose to put here mostly the things that uh, the questions about a new season five. We haven't heard. I was kind of hoping by this point we would have heard something, but uh, as like I said, uh, some of the competition has fallen by the wayside. Forever, for example, has been canceled. But mm-hmm. uh, and as Daryl has mentioned, TV by the numbers Cancel Bear has given POI a 100% chance of renewal. And it uh, mentions another fella, Tom Shaw from Bubble Watch, who also gives it a 100%. So uh, as soon as it's uh, you know official, we'll post something in the Person of Interest uh, podcast Facebook group. I have a graphic all ready to go. You're going to like it uh, as soon yep. as it's uh, renewed. And I will post it there. So uh, keep an eye on that. Keep, uh, you know, get the notifications from that group and you will find out as soon as we know. Yeah. And they've already made some announcements. CBS, that is. Stalker has been canceled. The McCarthy's has been canceled. Battle Creek has been canceled. And CSI, the original CSI, has been canceled. It will end with a two hour movie. So those have already been cut. And uh, so, you know, they're not, they're not going to cut everything from their schedule. 
I, as I said at the top of the show, and as I said last week, I don't think there's a chance that it gets canceled. I think that it's coming back next season. I'm not, I'm not worried about it. I've been wrong before, but I don't think this is one of those times. No, I think we've got a, a pretty good, uh, pretty good chance. Very good chance. Yep. Incredibly good chance. We'll know by, I think they're, uh, I think Tuesday or Wednesday is the date that CBS has to have made all of its decisions. So we'll know with, with, within less than a week of whether or not it's coming back for season five. So we won't have to wait long, but you will have to wait quite a while for our next podcast, but we hope that you'll join us next fall. We'll come back. We'll do a recap of season four. And, uh, you know, if there's any stuff that comes out at, at comic con or dragon con that we get, that we we have the chance to cover, we will. But right now it looks like we'll be back when, uh, it's time to do a preview, a review of season four slash preview of season five. That'll be fun. And uh, yeah, I said, keep an eye on the uh, Facebook group and we will uh, keep you informed as we are informed. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in for this podcast. And uh, I'm Daryl. I'll see you next time. And until then, I'm going to go wipe off my glasses because this uh, this night vision thing, it's not working very well. (laughs) And I'm Doug saying that if your number comes up, we hope there's a man in a suit with an automatic weapon, Uh, a woman who talks to a computer. A genius hacker who cools his laptops with ice, a wisecracking NYPD detective, and yes, even a briefcase-enclosed emotional computer artificial intelligence watching over you.